with you. Now, if you didn't know, uh, today is affectionately known as Youth Pastor Sunday. Uh, not because it is a day of appreciation for all the hard work we do, <laughs> but because all of our lead pastors are on vacation and asked us to fill in. Now, the reason I'm here is because uh, Melody asked me before my lead pastor could ask me to preach. <laughs> because when I approached uh, my lead pastor and I said, hey, I have this really great opportunity to go to see me and, and guest preach. And he's like, oh, what, what day? I'm like, oh, uh, I think it's December 30th. He's like, man, I was going to ask you to preach at, at Community Covenant. So uh, I am <laughs> I'm going to deliver the same exact sermon next week at Community Covenant in Santa Barbara. Uh, so today I've entitled this sermon, A Resolution to Remain, for a couple of different reasons. Firstly, because it is the time of year that we are all starting to think about our New Year's resolutions. And secondly, because I want to challenge us today to consider adding a resolution to remain in Jesus. So before we dive into today's passage, I wanted to share with you some statistics. As I was putting together this uh, this sermon, I was curious to see how much uh, percentage-wise New Year's resolutions are accomplished. So according to Business Insider, I'm not the type of person who reads Business Insider, it's just that that's what popped up on Google. Uh, so according to Business Insider, 80%, 80% of New Year's resolutions fail by the time February rolls around. 80%. Now this begs the question, why do we make resolutions in the first place? Some resolutions include losing weight, or eating better, or getting more sleep, and, and reducing stress in your life. None of these are bad things in and of themselves, but why is it that 80% of us fail at keeping our resolutions? So a few years ago, I got a gym membership for Christmas. Um, I don't know if it was my family's way of saying that I needed to work out, or I, I don't know what it was. But I was really happy for it because I had never had a gym membership before, and I decided, you know what, this is, this is the year. New year, new me, I'm going to go to the gym, I'm going to pump some iron, I'm going to be so ripped. Didn't happen, just, you know, <laughs> spoiler alert. Um, but the point being is, is that when I started to go to the gym in January, uh, it was packed with people. In fact, I had to park you know, all the way on the other side of the parking lot. I would park and I would grumble as I was walking into the gym, which by the way, shouldn't all parking spots be far away from the gym? I mean, anyway. Um, but the point being is, is that January was absolutely packed. I went two or three times a week and it was packed with people, packed with, with people trying to, to fulfill their New Year's resolutions. So me, being new to the whole gym scene, I thought that this was going to be the norm. I was like, I don't know if I want to stick around this gym if it's going to be packed all the time. That was in January. <laughs> first week of February, I go to the gym, and it's like a ghost town. Like, I, ha I have the first parking spot right next to the gym door. I was like, oh, this is weird. Like, is the gym closed today? So I go in, crickets, just empty. It was cool because I got to use all the machines that I had been waiting all month to use. But... Uh, nobody was there. Now, the reason I think so many of us fail at our resolutions is because we want instant results for things that require patience. The reason why the gym was empty in February is because all of the people who wanted instant results didn't get them. Personal change takes time, it takes patience, and it takes diligence. So today's passage comes to us from the Gospel of John, chapter 15. And this is the passage where Jesus refers to himself as the true vine. This is a popular passage to, to preach on because it is such a clear illustration 
for us to remain in Christ. As we read this passage this morning, I want to challenge us to think through this question. And that is, instead of asking what is something new we can add to our lives in 2019, what if we ask ourselves, what is God trying to cut out or prune from our lives? Let me read that one more time. Instead of asking what is something new that we can add to our lives in 2019, what if we ask ourselves, what is God trying to cut out or prune from our lives? So I studied history in college, and this is an important point that I'll get back to in a second. But the reason I, I tell you up front is because whenever I preach, I need to include as much historical context as possible. So just, just so you know. Um, that being said, the context of this passage is that Jesus has just had the Last Supper with his disciples. He, he has predicted Judas's betrayal and Peter's denial. Just before chapter 15 starts, we have Jesus comforting the disciples by telling them that they will have the Holy Spirit as a helper dwelling within them. He also tells them that I'm about to die. I'm about to go to the cross and, and suffer. So they're, they're dismayed. They're distraught. And Jesus is comforting them, saying, it's actually to your benefit that I leave. Because when I leave, the Holy Spirit will come and dwell within you, and you'll be able to do magnificent things in my name. So John 14 is this, this uh, chapter having to do with the disciples just being absolutely distraught and Jesus comforting them by saying, don't worry, the Holy Spirit's going to be here and it's going to be great for you. All right. Uh, okay, so chapter 14 ends with Christ leaving the upper room with his disciples and heading towards the Garden of Gethsemane to pray. As they are walking out of Jerusalem and up to the Mount of Olives, there are vineyards all around them and that is where our passage begins. This is John chapter 15, verses 1 through 5. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that he does bear fruit he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So let's start off by, by looking at verses 1 and 2 here. Jesus is revealing two important points. Firstly, that he is the true vine. And secondly, that God is the gardener. As Jesus and the disciples are walking towards the Mount of Olives, he is telling them that God is the master gardener. God's role is to cut off branches that don't bear fruit and prune the branches that can bear fruit so that they can be even more fruitful. What Jesus is telling them is that God is constantly cutting and pruning the branches of his vineyard. Now, that is all well and good until we realize that Jesus is telling his disciples, and thereby us, that we are the branches. If I skip ahead just for a second to verse 5, Jesus says, I am the vine and you are the branches. He's making it very clear that he is the vine and we are the branches. Now, for those of you who have two brown thumbs like me, um, cutting and pruning are vital to a plant's health. I've tried growing plants before, they've all died. That's, that's the brown thumb joke, so. 
nailed it. Um, but just for a second, let's imagine the cutting and pruning process from the point of view of the plant. Cutting and pruning are vital to a plant's health, but if you're the plant, it is an excruciating and painful process. So I'm going to share a couple stories with you this morning about when this passage really, really hit home for me. The first story is about when God not only cut off a branch in my life, but everything attached to it. So when I started college, I had no idea what I wanted to study. Um, I started off at Merritt Community College in Oakland, California, where I was raised. And my very first semester there, I took a class called History 7A, History of the United States from Colonization to Reconstruction, with Professor Claudio Duran. From that class onwards, I knew I wanted to study history. The way Professor Duran taught made history come alive, like I had never re uh, experienced before. I ended up taking all of the classes that he offered over the three years that I attended Merritt. And when it came time for me to transfer, Professor Duran wrote me a letter of recommendation, and I ended up getting accepted to UC Berkeley. Go Bears. Um, I loved my time at Berkeley. I loved the classes. I loved the campus, and I loved, especially loved, the libraries. Throughout this whole time, I started asking the question, what do I want to do with my history degree? And let me tell you, if, if any of you uh, middle school or high school students are out there and you're looking for a career that, is, that will pay well, history is not a <laughs> degree you want to get. Um, just, you know, spoiler alert there. Um, so I started asking this question, what do I want to do with my degree? Uh, do I teach? Do I, what, what do I do? And I'd always kind of loved teaching, but for some reason I absolutely did not want to teach junior high or high school. Believe me, the irony is not lost on me that God made me a youth pastor. Um, so as I was asking this question, I realized that I wanted to teach at the college level, particularly the community college level. That meant that I needed to get at least a master's degree. So I, I applied to and was accepted to San Francisco State University for a uh, master's of US history. Uh, same thing happened at SF State. I loved the professors and I loved my classes. And as I was finishing up that program, Professor Duran encouraged me to apply for PhDs so that I would be able to teach at universities. So I applied for PhDs. My whole future, my whole future was laid out in front of me. I was going to get my PhD in history, I was going to teach, and I was going to write really, really big, boring history books that only history nerds like me would enjoy. Now I was so sure about my future I was so sure that this was the path, that this was what was laid out in front of me. And then God came with a chainsaw. I was rejected from every single PhD program I applied for. <laughs> and all of a sudden, my future came crashing down, and I didn't know what I was going to do. Me standing here before you this morning is a testimony to the transformative work of Christ. Because even though it was excruciating to lose the future I wanted, it was God's cutting off of that branch that led me directly to becoming a pastor. Now, don't get me wrong, it was a painful process, but it was necessary for me to realize the true call God had placed on me to enter pastoral ministry. Now, cutting off branches, you spend so much time growing is a painful thing, but God does not cut off branches for no reason. 
Verse 2 reveals that God's purpose in cutting off branches is to remove what is taking life away from being fruitful. A PhD in history, as much as I wanted it, was not going to be fruitful. So the second story I have for you this morning has to do with pruning. Um, I've only been in Santa Barbara about 18 months. My wife and I moved down there, uh, and I started August 1st of 2017, right? Yeah, okay, go. <laughs> Got to get my dates right. So I started August 1st of 2017, and I've, I've been there a little over a year doing ministry, and it's, it's been great. Um, However, when I first got there, I had all these grandiose ideas of what I wanted to do with youth ministry. But lo and behold, when I got started, all the plans I had weren't working out like I wanted them to. Events didn't go as planned, group dynamics weren't the way I wanted, counselors weren't signing up to, to volunteer with youth ministry, etc. After a while, I realized that what was happening was that there was the potential for fruitfulness but I was trying to inject steroids into the fruit to make it grow faster. I wanted to manufacture the growth. Through all that frustration, God, ooh, sorry, sorry about that. <laughs> uh, through all that frustration, God was pruning the youth ministry and reminding me that I am not the gardener. Cutting and pruning are painful, but they are powerful, powerful tools in the hand of the master gardener. Let's look at verse three. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Now, there's a lot of debate surrounding this verse and what it is saying. There are some theologians who believe that Jesus is referring to the fact that Judas has just left them, meaning that the remaining disciples are now clean from the betrayal. Now, I'm not here to, to settle the debate or argue one way or another. Rather, I want to keep our interpretation of this verse rooted in the idea of being branches off of the true vine. Again, I am extremely limited in my understanding of agriculture, which is a, an understatement. I know nothing about plants. Um, but I do know that in order for a grapevine, because remember Jesus is using the grapevine as the illustration, <clears throat> um, in order for the grapevine to grow correctly, the gardener needs to take the young, weak sprouts and pick them up off the ground and tie them to the strong central vine. So if we continue to think about this metaphor for a moment, we can see that Jesus is saying that by being his disciples, we are picked up from the dirt and the mud and the filth. We are made clean by God's word, and we are tied to the stronger central vine of Christ. The word God has spoken to us is a manifestation of grace, picking us up and binding us to Jesus. Because of this word, we are now cleansed from the filth of sin, and we are able to grow and mature and bear fruit for the kingdom. But our ability to bear fruit is not because of our own abilities or strengths. It is because of Jesus. Now let, let's look at verse 4. It says, Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Now remember, because God's word is cleansing us, we have the capability of bearing fruit, but only if we remain in Christ. In other words, Jesus wants us to be fruitful. Jesus wants us to thrive and to flourish and to have life to the full. But I want to caution us in, in, in that thinking because there's an inherent danger in it. 
it, once again, we're, we're thinking about our New Year's resolutions. And the danger of this thinking of, you know, God wants us to flourish, God wants us to thrive, is that we have to add all these things to our life in order to be, quote, unquote, fruitful. We just have to add something, add something, and then we'll be fruitful. I want to challenge us by thinking and asserting that fruitfulness is not the same thing as productivity. Let me repeat that. I want to assert that fruitfulness is not the same thing as productivity. American culture demands that you accumulate more, that you add more, that you buy more, that you spend more. We are trapped in this pattern of thinking that tells us that the more we do, the more we earn, the more we fill our lives with, the more successful we'll be. Let me tell you a story. Jesus and his disciples <clears throat> were walking into Jerusalem one day, and Jesus was really, really hungry. As they were walking along, Jesus spots a fig tree in, in the distance. The leaves were full, the flowers were open to the sun, and it was giving off a, a, a sweet fragrance. This fig tree looked like it was healthy and flourishing, but as soon as Jesus came up to it, he realized that there was no fruit in it. It was only leaves and flowers and bore nothing of substance. Jesus goes on to curse this fig tree and, and says, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. Now, as I was uh, preparing the sermon and I was tying in this idea of the fig tree, I, I read this and, and for the first time I read this, there was a chill down my spine. Because I think that even though the object of Jesus' curse here is the fig tree, we're in danger of being like the fig tree. May no one ever eat fruit from you again. That is a scary, scary curse. So as I was reading that, I was like, oh, I, 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 need, to, like, I need to remain in the true vine because I, I don't want to be cursed like that. I want to bear fruit. I want to be fruitful. So um, with this fig tree, Jesus had wanted something to satisfy his hunger. But the fig tree that looked attractive had nothing to offer. This fig tree looked productive. It looked successful. It looked like it was fruitful. But all of its energy had gone into how it looked and not the fruit that it should have been producing. So often we pour our energy and our passion and our time into being productive and looking successful. I want to challenge us to think that our productivity is not what Jesus wants from us. Jesus wants us to bear fruit which is only possible if we remain closely connected to him. This isn't to say that we quit our jobs or that we give up on our goals. It is simply calling into question the underlying motivations we have for those things, for those goals, for those jobs. Are we striving to be productive or are we desiring to be fruitful? Verse five is a continuation of Jesus' thought in verse four. It says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. In case we disciples haven't caught on by now, Jesus is reiterating that he is the vine and we are the branches. Also, I want to take a moment and address something that I think can be very easily mistaken as Jesus being mean or rude. When Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing, it is not to put us down. In fact, it is the exact opposite. When Jesus says that, it is to lift us up and to help us realize that life is only found when we are connected to him. 
a little earlier, we talked about the role of the gardener and, and picking up and tying young branches to the central vine in order for them to grow and flourish. That is exactly what Jesus is saying here in verse 5. Jesus wants us to remain in him so that we are able to bear fruit and thrive. Think of it like this. We get Jesus' help in all that we do if we remain bound to him. Now, I don't know about you, but I would much rather go through life with the help of Christ than alone on my own. Amen? We've talked about fruitfulness, and we've talked about flourishing. But this begs the question, why does Jesus desire this of us? What is it about fruitfulness? What is it about flourishing that Jesus wants us to partake in? Now, I know I said we'd only be reading verses 1 through 5, but when you start reading the Bible, you realize it's connected to all the other things. So uh, I'm actually going to skip down and read verse 8, John 15, 8, because it reveals exactly why Jesus wants us to be fruitful. Verse 8 says, This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Jesus' ultimate goal and desire is to bring glory to God. That means if we are connected to Christ, our bearing fruit not only proves us to be Christ's disciples, but it ultimately brings glory to God. So as, as we wrap up this morning, uh, this passage raises a very, very important question that I want to leave you with. And uh, as we look forward to 2019, this is the question. Are you going to be like the fig tree? and fill your life with productivity to look successful? Or are you going to allow the master gardener to cut and to prune your life so that you can be fruitful and flourish? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, we thank you so much for this morning. We thank you so much for the opportunity to gather and to praise your name. And uh, Lord, we are excited to see what you have in store for the year uh, 2019. We're excited to see where you're at work and what you're doing in our midst. And Lord, I just ask that you help us to be open and, and vulnerable and, and able to see that we do need pruning and we do need cutting. And Lord, for those who are, are getting ready to be cut and, and pruned, I just ask for comfort and peace for them. Thank you for being the master gardener, Lord. Thank you for knowing um, the ways in which we need to grow, the ways in which we need to be fruitful and flourish. And thank you for having your son uh, be the true vine. So, Lord, I, I ask for this congregation, for this, for this place, for this church, help all of us to just remain connected closely, bound closely, tied closely to the true vine in 2019. We pray your blessing over Simi Covenant, Lord. And uh, I just thank you so much that they are here and that you've placed them here in this community for your purpose. I just ask that you bless the offering that we are about to receive. Let it be an extension of our worship, Lord. Let it be a fragrant offering to you. And bless it, multiply it, Lord, and use it for your kingdom. Thank you again, Lord, for this time. Thank you again for this place. And we pray that you bless the rest of our service together. Amen.